Welcome to the 119th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a deep dive into all things NBA, including a look back at the past week of NBA action, all-star selections, and trade news. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And speaking of the NBA, we'll start in the NBA where Patrick went 2-2 two and two in his predictions. In college basketball, Patrick was a perfect 4-0, meaning he was 6-2 and two overall in this weekend's predictions, which brings him to a 346 and 246 overall record, a 58.4% winning percentage, and for those of you not good at math, 100 games over 500. Patrick, your thoughts on your uh, weekend predictions? Well, uh, I continue my good picks in college basketball. That has been a theme of this year. Uh, if I mean... Not real. Honestly, there wasn't anything terribly interesting going on in terms of the uh, goings on of the games. I guess I'll say. I mean, they were interesting games in terms of the matchups. Uh, Baylor and Kansas is probably a uh, is a you know a, a, a Big Twelve deciding matchup normally every single season. Um, UConn Villanova, same thing in the Big East. Those are the two best teams in their conferences. Arizona and USC, the number one team in their conference, and a team that. Probably isn't number two, but somewhere up there in the Pac-12, which is not necessarily a great conference, but still a good game. And then obviously I had Duke-North Carolina, the big old rivalry game. I, I, I Obviously that game turned into a blowout for Duke, but I was actually surprised to see that, you know, I pick these before betting lines are even out. I try to predict what will be closer games in kind of ignore rankings, and I was actually going to pick Iowa State and Texas because it was a rank matchup instead of Duke, North Carolina. And then I thought about it, and I actually thought there might be a chance that uh, Iowa State and Texas was actually supposed to be a game that wasn't actually as close as Duke versus North Carolina. So I went back and I picked North Duke and North Carolina instead. And actually, when I went back and checked, Duke was only favored by three in this game. So their dominant win was actually uh, above what was expected of them. But... uh, you know, I, I picked that. I expected them to win by a lot. I actually didn't honestly think that it would be the closest game, but I was right about that. Um, in Villanova, UConn, you know, Colin Gillespie went down at the end of the game, but he was in there enough, and Eric Dixon had a great game, so uh, Villanova won that one. Kansas absolutely destroyed Baylor, but uh, Baylor was 1-3 in, in their last four games now, and the other thing is Kansas had just lost by 20 at home. And they had previously won 19 games in a row at home. I think they've lost, I want to say, 17 or 18 home games total under Bill Self. And uh, he's been there for a long enough time that they weren't going to lose two in a row. Kansas just never loses two in a row at home. So I knew that wasn't going to happen. I had to pick them. And then Arizona, well, we know what I think of USC. So, of course, I was going to pick my my number one team, the Pac-12, over USC. Uh, But in the NBA, well... Uh, I picked before knowing that James Harden would be injured. I thought maybe Harden and Kyrie against a a Jazz team without Donovan Mitchell, that would be how they turn their seven-game losing streak into maybe a win. Uh, Turns out Donovan Mitchell was playing. James Harden wasn't playing. So (laughs) that one I will definitely say I would have picked a lot differently if I had known that. Uh, But that was one game I got wrong. The Heat went on the road and beat the Hornets. Uh, The Bulls lost to the Sixers for the third time this season. They're 0-3 against them this season. That was surprising to me. I actually 
looked at it and I thought I had an edge on that one because I was thinking there's no way the Bulls are going to let the Sixers beat them three times in a year. And they have DeRozan, they have Vucevic in this game, so I thought they had enough, but uh, apparently not. And the Sixers went on the road and won that game. They've now, they're one game away from the season sweep of the Bulls. And then the Mavericks beat the Hawks despite uh, Luka Doncic playing, I think, 20 minutes or something like that, maybe 25, uh, something in that range. Yeah, 28 minutes in that game uh, because of foul trouble. So uh, I'm surprised the Mavericks were able to still win that game, but the Hawks were just not, the Hawks played terribly and they they didn't do anything on offense. And I think the stat is that they're now, I think, 1 in 12 in games where they don't score 100 points, which... Uh, it's not a good sign for them, but, you know, they are a high-scoring offensive-centric team, but uh, got those games, got those other games right, but I'll, I'll take 6-2, and two, definitely. Okay, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday, as always. So let's now move on to our re- weekly review of NBA action. Patrick, we will start with your most impressive teams of the last week in the NBA. I will start with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, honestly, I completely forgot that they were, I mean, I didn't forget that they existed as a team, but I I forgot that they were actually playing decent this year. I thought that, you know, they had a bad week here and there and they were kind of sitting on the eighth or ninth, uh, seed kind of range. And then I looked back at it and I realized, I looked at the standings, the Raptors are in sixth place in the East. They're ahead of the Brooklyn Nets as of now. Uh, I don't know how that happened. I mean, well, you know why it happened. You know why the Nets fell down so far. But I, I assumed that, you know, Toronto was, you know, hovering around 500. They're actually six games above 500. They're only four and a half games out of out of the number one seed uh, in the East. And talking about this week, they went 4-0. They beat Atlanta. Then they beat Miami. Then they beat Chicago. Then they beat Atlanta again. And when if you want to know where those teams are, Atlanta is currently sitting at 10th, although... They had won, I think, seven games in a row before that game against the Raptors. Miami is sitting at the number one overall seed, and Chicago is sitting a half game back of Milwaukee for second and one and a half back of first place. So they were beating very, very good teams and teams that if they want to go anywhere in the playoffs, that, I mean, if they want to go anywhere in the playoffs, they're going to have to beat those teams. I mean, so the fact that they're doing it already is a good sign. And also, if they can keep this up right now, they might put themselves in a position to actually stay above the Nets and force the Nets into the play-in. It's really possible with how long Kevin Durant has been out. He still hasn't played a game in this calendar year. Um, and they've been terrible without Kevin Durant. Uh, and, and you know, Kyrie playing half half of the games, pretty much. Kevin Durant being out and Harden being kind of injured on and off and having some issues that he's dealing with. They're just kind of in free fall right now. There's really nothing that can come to save the Nets. Uh, but I think that opens the door for a team like the Raptors to take a seed that's not in the play. And I think if you look at the rest of the East, those top five seeds, they're pretty set in stone with Miami, Milwaukee, Chicago, Cleveland, and Philadelphia. Those teams feel like, I feel like all of those teams are going to be staying in that kind of a spot. But that sixth spot, if Brooklyn is injured, like the, is injured, is going to stay injured like they are right now, it'll be wide open. So Toronto's taking that opportunity to get up there. And another team that's actually taken the opportunity that the Nets have provided. The Boston Celtics, 4-0 this week, now tied for Brooklyn at 7th. The 7th seed in the East, only a half game back of Toronto for 6th. They're another team who can take advantage of that opening. They also beat Miami this week. They also beat Charlotte, Detroit, and Orlando. Obviously, 
The schedule, not as intimidating, which is why they're only second most impressive, not as high up as the Raptors. Uh, But look, the Celtics are playing good basketball right now. These two teams, I think, are teams that don't want to see the All-Star break come. They want the All-Star break to be as late as possible at this point because they're playing well, they're hot right now, and they don't want to be cooled down by anything. And the All-Star break might just be the thing to do it. But uh, I bet you they don't want it to come. But, you know, unfortunately, we are in the middle of February almost, so uh, it'll be here soon, and we'll obviously talk about it later. Uh, But then you have the Minnesota Timberwolves, who went 3-0 this week. They did not play a very hard schedule, which is why I didn't give them much props for it. But they beat Denver. Denver's been good this season. Uh, And then they beat Detroit twice. So, you know, the Detroit wins don't really mean much. But Minnesota only one game back of Denver in the standings in the West for the sixth spot to avoid the play-in. So that game against Denver, you never know if it could be very important. I mean, it's a two-game swing in the standings for their win. uh, And it, it might end up being very, very important when you get to the end of the season. That might define who's in the play-in game and who isn't. So... Uh, and you know, that actually basically it, it, it didn't fully come to fruition last year, but a game between the Lakers and the Blazers that went the Lakers way, I believe the Lakers only lost that seed by one game. And I think if they had lost that game, they would have lost it by three. But the fact that they won, it meant that they actually stayed in contention for the sixth seed until the last day of the year. So you never know what could happen, uh, with the play in format. So Minnesota taking care of their business, very, very important to get wins over the teams that you're in contention with for higher up seeds, um, and good on them for that win. And then, finally, the Bucks, 3-0 this week. Uh, only reason why they're last on this list, just because, you know, they're the defending champs. We kind of expect it. Uh, they beat Washington, who's been one of the, I mean, if the Nets weren't playing so badly, Washington would be a bigger story for how far they've fallen down the standings. Now not even in the playoff picture whatsoever. Um, they also beat Portland, who's on the outside looking in, also in free fall uh, from their kind of okay place at some point in the year, but they, they've fallen a long way too. And the Clippers, and also both of those teams actually in a trade with each other, uh, which we'll get to later, who are also only in the eighth seed, only a half game above the Lakers. They're under 500. Obviously, we know the Clippers haven't been the best this year, but I still felt like it was worth mentioning the Bucks here and not putting a team that took a loss this week because they put up 137 points on the road two games in a row. And not only did they do it two games in a row, they did it on back-to-back nights. Uh, That is really, really tough to do, regardless of if you're playing Portland in L.A. Uh, It's still a tough thing uh, to go on the road and do that. I mean, look, 137 actually on, frankly, on five days rest at home is hard to do. So going on the road and doing it on back-to-back nights, I don't care who you're playing, that's really hard to do, and uh, props to the Bucks for doing that. Wonder if that's an NBA record for most points scored within a certain hour. In a back-to-back, uh, probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, some high-scoring teams uh, a few years ago, but they didn't play many back-to-backs. All right, uh, let's move over on the flip side of that to the most disappointing teams this last week. Well, uh, I talked about them a lot. The Nets, zero and four this week, have lost eight games in a row. Actually, at some point, they had the they had the longest losing streak and the second longest losing streak was the Sacramento Kings and they went on the road and they lost to the Sacramento Kings James Harden in that game four points the lowest in his career where I think he's played more than like 15 minutes or something like that or ever in a start I think it was um look they've been playing terribly I mean there's no other way to put it they just have not played well at all recently so uh, it's not so surprising to see them to see them fall down in the standings but the fact that they're now in the seventh spot tied for, well, only tied for seventh. I mean, 
they're in danger of falling below Charlotte pretty soon, too, only at 29 and 24 now after they were at the one seed for so long. And also, you know, they're still a good enough team that you wouldn't expect them to lose eight in a row because it's actually kind of funny. Everybody talked about the fact that, you know, Kyrie would be playing only half of the games, so they'd be a better road team than they would be a home team. Ironically enough, the last eight games, they haven't actually played a lot of home games. They've played four road games in a row that they've just lost. And before that, they had two of those last four before that were also road games. So they played six road games in this, spe- in the, in this stretch here. Six of those eight games, they've had Kyrie. They have not played well with him. They haven't played well without him. I, I don't really know what the Nets have to do to fix their problem. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, well, I do know the answer is Kevin Durant has to get healthy, but obviously you can't just, you know, make him healthy. He's got to take his rest and get back, but it has been a struggle with him out is, is all I can say about it. Uh, but moving on from that, the Hornets went 0-3 this week, losing to Boston, Cleveland, and Miami. Uh, no wins, obviously, but Look, the Hornets have been kind of an up-and-down team all year. They've been a little bit inconsistent. They've had their hot stretches. They've had their good winning streaks, but they've also had some times where they just don't play well for a very long period of time. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games, uh, currently on a five-game losing streak, so they're in one of those times where they're uh, not playing so well as of recent. Uh, but overall, I think the Hornets are going to be fine. They'll probably—I don't really see— Washington coming up and taking them out of their spot in the play-in uh, bracket. Uh, I could see I could see Atlanta moving up from ten to nine and moving over over Charlotte, and then I could see the Knicks maybe coming in and taking that tenth spot barely. But it, it's going to be hard to dislodge them, even with how bad they've played recently. Because even after a five-game losing streak, they're still three games ahead of being out of the play-in and playoff entirely. So I, I don't really see that happening, honestly. Uh, but I think overall, long-term, they'll be fine. But a team that won't be fine long-term, the Portland Trailblazers, 0-4 in their last four games. They've lost five in a row. They are 3-7 and in their last 10. Fun fact, the New Orleans Pelicans are now in position to be in the play-in game without, in the play-in bracket, without Zion playing a single game this season. Just wanted to mention that. Um, the other teams that are in contention... Portland themselves, Sacramento, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Houston, and those are all within six games of the 10 spot. Obviously, Houston and OKC a lot farther back than Sacramento or Portland or San Antonio, who are all within two games of it. But look, the the Blazers had to play really bad to give up that 10th spot, uh, and they just had to stay afloat without Damian Lillard, and they have not stayed afloat. They are a fully sinking ship. Um, they are almost at the bottom of the ocean, in fact. And, you know, we can see, I don't want to talk about it already, but their trade that they just made is proving the fact that they don't believe in their ability to contend as a team anymore, and they're really down on this team. And I think when the ownership sends that message and when the front office sends that message, sometimes it can bleed, it can get into the players' heads a little bit. And I almost feel like the players are going to keep playing even worse because the fact of the matter is, they had the players in place to be a good team. Most of them have been injured the whole season, that being Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And then now that they're without either of them, they've decided to trade everybody around them that kept them afloat. It's just not the right message. And I know, frankly, it is the right message because Portland's not going to do anything with the current team makeup that they have. So they really do have to be in sell mode, in my opinion. 
But when you're a player, it's not going to make you feel any better about playing, and it's not going to make you play better, obviously, that your front office has decided that they're going to give up on you and get some new players and move on and get some draft picks. Uh, but a team that hasn't done that just yet actually tried to trade to get better. Uh, the New York Knicks, 1-2 and two this week, lost to Memphis and the Lakers. Their only win this week was against Sacramento, uh, and that was after losing three in a row. They've now lost five of their last six. And I just want to talk about this for a second. Two weeks ago, there or three weeks ago at this point, I think, the Knicks got Cam Reddish from Atlanta from the Atlanta Hawks uh, in a trade where they gave up Kevin Knox and a 2022 first round pick for Reddish, Solomon Hill, and a 2025 second round pick. Cam Reddish has played has has had four do not <laughs> DNPs as they call them, as in did not play but was completely healthy and able to play and is averaging 6.9 minutes per game in New York. So they tried to trade for a a, a good player. I like Cam Reddish. I think he's a good player, of course, but they haven't played him at all. And now the report is that Tom Thibodeau didn't want the Knicks to trade for Cam Reddish, and that's why he hasn't been playing. So my only thing with the Knicks right now is that I'm not going to give them solutions to get better because they already have messed it up. I mean, their coach didn't want a player and they went out and got that player when they were already desperate and losing a bunch of games. It, it just can't work out that way. It's just never, it, it, it doesn't help them and it's not going to make them any better. So I just don't really think that, I don't really think that the Knicks can get any better and I'm really starting to doubt that they have any chance of getting anywhere in, in this season. I don't think they're going to be making the playoffs, honestly, at this point. And, and the other thing is, I'm talking about the coaching in the front office. If anybody watched anything last week, you would know that Julius Randle walked into another team's huddle in the middle of a close game. They lost that game. And also, and got completely upset by Memphis. And Memphis just doing their normal antics to get under people's skin. And then also, he, I don't know how to describe it, got into a very, very, very obvious verbal altercation. I guess is the best way to say it with an assistant coach who I think it looked like he was trying to show him something on a computer during a timeout against the Lakers and he just wasn't having any of it and he started screaming at him and you know they had to move him away um that's the attitude of their star player their coach they, they their front office just traded for a player that their coach doesn't want their coach isn't playing said player at all everything there is just a mess the Knicks right now are a mess and there's nothing else about it I think that might be the last time I have to talk about them this season because the reality is they're going to keep having one in two weeks. I'm not going to be surprised when they do it. Um, and really, I mean, I don't. It, it won't be surprising anymore. So I might not be talking about them much, which is why I'm choosing now to talk about them a lot. And uh, if they get better, you can tell me that I was wrong, but it, there's not much hope for them right now. Okay, uh, let's talk about something good, and that's the player of the week. Let's go to Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks. 30.3 points, 9.7 rebounds, 12.0 assists, and two steals per game this week. However, one thing that I would like to mention about that, first two games of the week, he played 40 minutes. He played 43 minutes. He had 33, 15, and 13, and 40, 10, and 6. On Sunday, he had he got his fifth foul three minutes, three and a half-ish minutes into the second half, and yet still got an eight, I mean, you know, it was only 18 points, but 18, 11, and 10. 
a triple-double in 28 minutes. It's Luka's just ridiculous. I think there's no other words I can say for it. Uh, and, you know, he was in that foul trouble and still somehow managed to get... Uh, I mean, you know, he didn't score a lot of points, but it's hard to score much more than 18 points in 28 minutes unless you're shooting very efficiently. Um, and he didn't even have the best shooting night, but 18, 11, and 10 is enough to, and with a win over a good team, it is enough. And he has been an all-star quality player all season. Uh, he should be in the MVP conversation, in my opinion. Maybe not exactly a, a prime candidate for it, but he should be somewhere in the conversation, in my opinion. So I, I like what Luca's done this season, and I think he's doing, I think he's been playing amazing, and this week was nothing short of that. Okay, let's uh, stay with the NBA, but let's move on to a look at the NBA All-Star Game selections. I will start with the captains. Those were voted in by the fans, uh, and actually the starters too, and a little bit of the media, but 50% fans. I think it was 25% media and 25% players. Uh, LeBron gets the captain for the West, uh, edging out Steph Curry, I will say, Uh, and Kevin Durant edges out Giannis Antetokounmpo for the captain in the East, uh, Team LeBron, Team Durant, well, that's what it was supposed to be, and we'll, <laughs> we'll get to what happens with that in a second, uh, but the rest of the starters, Giannis, Stephen Curry, DeMar DeRozan, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, John Morant, Andrew Wiggins, and Trey Young, uh, obviously by conference, but I didn't say it that way, um, and then, you know, the rest of the pool, the reserves came out, so now we have the full roster, or who was supposed to be the full roster, you have, in the reserves, you have Devin Booker from the Suns, Jimmy Butler from the Heat, Luka Doncic from the Mavericks, Darius Garland from the Cavs, you have Rudy Gobert from the Jazz, you have Draymond Green for the Warriors, James Harden for the Nets, Zach Levine for the Bulls, Chris Middleton for the Bucks, Donovan Mitchell also for the Jazz, uh, Chris Paul also for the Suns, Jason Tatum as the Celtics representative, Carl Anthony Towns as the Timberwolves representative, and Fred Van Vliet as the Toronto Raptors representative. I'm not going to lie. I almost have no problems with the All-Star selections this year. Um, but if I had to, to, to pick one, if I had to make one tweak, and I think I can only make one tweak because I actually like the rest of the roster just fine in both conferences before injury replacements because this kind of throws a wrench at that. I would take Andrew Wiggins out because he's only averaging 18 points, four rebounds, two assists, one steal, less than a block, which is literally the same numbers that Karis LeVert is putting up this year. Actually, worse numbers because Karis LeVert is averaging 18, four, and four. Um, And I would replace him with DeJounte Murray, who averages almost two more points per game at 19.6 points, but also averages eight rebounds and nine assists and two steals. The only thing he has less than Wiggins in those basic stat categories is blocks because he has .4 blocks and Wiggins has 0.7. I don't think that makes that big of a difference, obviously. Um, but DeJounte Murray, better in points, double the rebounds, quadruple the assists. Don't tell me how he isn't in the All-Star game. You can't explain it to me. And also, the fact that Draymond Green got into the All-Star game averaging, I think he's averaging something like 8.7 rebounds and 7 assists, it shows that the war- everybody knows that the impact players on the Warriors are Steph Curry and Draymond Green. And if there's only one team with three All-Stars, I don't see how you can give it to the second-place team in the West, especially when one of them just shouldn't be in the game whatsoever for so many different reasons, that being Andrew Riggins. So I'd give it to DeJounte Murray to get an extra rep in there. Um, and and tentatively, in the Eastern Conference, I would say I would put either LaMelo Ball, who's averaging 19.6 points, same as DeJounte Murray, seven rebounds and seven and a half assists, 
or Jared Allen, who's averaging 16 and 11, uh, 16 points, 11 rebounds, and a block and a half. I put them in over Chris Middleton because Chris Middleton's averaging actually less points than LaMelo and basically the same numbers on rebounds and assists, but both of them one one and a half rebounds less and two assists less. So overall, I'm going to have to say that I would rather have LaMelo Ball uh, instead of Chris Middleton. For the reason for LaMelo, I'd just say his stats are better. And then for the reason for Jared Allen, the East doesn't have a single center in the All-Star game other than Joel Embiid. So it feels like if, you know, if you're going to put Rudy Gobert in for the West, I feel like you should put a center in. And I mean, frankly, Draymond plays more center than any of the other players that are in for the East as uh, as subs. So, I mean, honestly, I think they could have done with putting an extra center in. And by the way, Carl Anthony Towns also mostly plays center. So the West has Nikola Jokic and then two centers on the bench. And the East has none other than Joel Embiid. So I think it's a little bit unfair to not to only have one center in there. But, I, you know, I, I think, they honestly, if those are my only complaints, I think they did a great job picking them this year because normally I can think of two or three players that should be in instead of two or three other players. This year, I really can't think of that. And honestly, I'm surprised that a player like Draymond Green got in, but I actually like that he got in because his impact is so huge. And we're seeing that with the Warriors, even with Clay Thompson back, without Draymond Green, they've still played, they, they've played better so far this season with Draymond, Steph, and Wiggins than they have with Wiggins, Tom, Clay, and Steph. To this point, obviously, Clay's going to get better as he moves farther and farther away from his recovery from his injury, but it's clear that Draymond makes a huge, huge impact on that team, uh, and that impact can't be denied, and, you know, his impact is enough to take the Warriors to first in the West before he was injured, I think, so uh, there's a reason why they were there, and that reason is mostly him and Steph, so I think he deserves the All-Star nod for that. But, speaking of Draymond Green being replaced from the All-Star game, uh, Lomelo Ball and DeJounte Murray have been announced as All-Star game replacements. Uh, Jason Tatum will slide into the starting lineup because he is replacing Kevin Durant, or Lomelo's replacing Kevin Durant's roster spot, but Tatum is replacing him as the starter. I think that has something to do with how many votes he got as, I, I think, the highest vote getting reserved in the position, something like that. Um, and then DeJounte Murray will be replacing Draymond Green, who's still injured. Uh, so, you know what? I'm also more satisfied with the way that the All-Star game turned out because of the fact that the first people that I named as the person right out of the, that that didn't make, the first person to not make it, they were both named as replacements. So it's clear that they barely, they just barely missed out and they weren't, I'm not, I'm not really, I mean, I'm not very energetic. I'm not screaming about DeJounte Murray and LaMelo Ball or Jared Allen even not being there. So it's clear that I'm not feeling too strongly about it. Um, at least I'm trying to make it clear that that's my feelings on it, but, um, I'm happy that they're going to get in, uh, as replacements because I think they deserve it just like kind of Mike Conley did last year, uh, at least getting in there once. And I mean, I think LaMelo Ball has many all-star appearances to come and I think DeJounte Murray does too. Uh, but you know, it's nice to get in there for that first time. And also I will mention, I will mention good for Darius Garland, right? I mean, Cleveland deserves to have an all-star for how well they've played this season, uh, and really coming out of nowhere, so why not give it to the leading scorer on the team? Probably who most people would say the best player. Uh, I don't think Evan Mobley quite has all-star level numbers, so obviously it'd be hard to put him in. But uh, if there was anybody else, it would kind of could only be him or Jared Allen. So uh, I like that they got Darius Garland in, and uh, overall, you know, I'm satisfied that you know up-and-coming teams like the Cavs have a representative. Uh, the Bulls deserve to have two. The Bucs, I, I mean, you know, I can talk about Middleton not being in it, but the Bucks did just win the championship, so I think they deserve to have 
multiple players if you're going to give a team like the Bulls multiple players too. So I'm okay with that. Um, and then obviously the Nets also had two. Uh, and then, you know, you, you get Jason Tatum in for the Celtics. You get Jimmy Butler as the leader of the Heat. Some people think Tyler Hero should be there instead of Jimmy Butler because he's played a lot more games. I see the argument, but I also I also still like J- Jimmy Butler there too. I don't really care. I think you could go either way with that. Um, I like that Luka made it, obviously. I think maybe he could have even been a starter. I'm happy Devin Booker gets back in it. I'm happy Chris Paul gets back in it. And really, other than Darius Garland, I think for the same reasons, you love to see Cat in the All-Star game and you love to see Fred Van Vliet in there. Fred Van Vliet deserves it. I mean, talk about up-and-coming teams. The Raptors and the Cavs both deserve to have at least one All-Star representative for just coming out of nowhere. There has to be something driving that that those appearances in, in you know, the top six of the East. Uh, and those are the two players who are mainly doing it. And Cat has really... I mean, you know, people can argue that Minnesota has a big three, but I wouldn't really say so. I mean, I love Anthony Edwards for sure, but Cat is clearly the most all-star worthy of him, uh, Anthony Edwards, and D'Angelo Russell. So I'm happy that he also got it. Okay, let's move from the all-star game to some trade action in the NBA. The Clippers and the Blazers made a big trade. The Clippers got Norman Powell and Robert Covington in exchange for Eric Bledsoe, Keon Johnson, who was the 21st pick in the draft last year, so he's a rookie, Justice Winslow, and a 2025 second-round pick. To me, this is a clear sign that the Clippers are trying. That sorry, that the Blazers are in rebuilding mode. Uh, maybe rebuilding around Damian Lillard. Maybe not. Maybe he. I mean, I don't think he actually can sign anywhere else because I think he just signed his extension uh, pretty recently. But uh, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if their plan is to build around him, but. It's clear that they know they're not contending this year. Um, And then, for me, it also says that the Clippers are trying to set themselves up for a little bit of a championship window that they think they might have. Um, Maybe for a possible return of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard later this season. Maybe that return is next season. But I think overall they think that the return is coming uh, soon enough. And, you know, it can be even after. Because Norman Powell is signed... For five years, they will have him for four years after this. It's clear that maybe they might even keep Norm Powell post Paul George and Kawhi even. I mean, it's possible. I'm not saying it'll happen for sure, but it's a possibility. So uh, overall, I got to think the Clippers are trying to extend their championship window just a little bit or or just show Paul George and Kawhi that they're still trying to contend even when they're not there uh, while the Blazers are just in full sell mode. And really, I think... For both teams, that's probably the correct approach. Uh, but moving on from that, the bigger trade, the more recent trade, the Cavaliers and the Pacers made a trade officially confirmed today after being previously reported yesterday afternoon by Woj. The Cavs got Karis LeVert and a, sec- and a 2022 second-round pick in exchange for Ricky Rubio, a first-round pick, which is lottery-protected, and two 2022 second-round picks. Okay, this confirms that the Pacers know that they are not a good team and they're not getting to the playoffs and they shouldn't be trying to go all in with DeMontis Sabonis. Maybe he's the right player to build around, but not this year. Uh, They are taking, I mean, look, look at who they're taking. They are loading up on picks and taking in a player who is out for the last year remaining on his contract with a torn ACL. Ricky Rubio will not play another game the entire season and yet the Pacers just traded for him. Just tells you they're not really trying that hard. <laughs> um, but they got Ricky Rubio. He has his torn ACL. He won't be playing. Um, and, and, you know, 
that's kind of it for the Pacers. We probably won't hear much from them this year. But what it does say about the Cavs is that they think they can make some noise in the Eastern Conference, and I like that. I really like when teams who are, you know, not in, in the first seed or the second seed and the third seed only or a big market team like the Lakers or, 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 or the Clippers, they're trying to be, you know, super teams and get even more players on those teams. I like it when a team like the Cavs, who's really built with mainly a young core and then, you know, a free agent signing here and there, I like when those teams try and think that they're good enough to contend, so they try for it. And look, this trade is saying that they're trying to do that. They're saying, uh, the main thing that I have here is, rather than just thinking that the five seed is okay, and moving on to wait for Colin Sexton to be back next year if they can resign, if they can re-sign him as a restricted free agent, instead, they decide that they're going to contend this year, and this is the year to make some noise. Lavert, I also think, is a perfect fit for this roster because not only will he be a here for the remainder of the year to make them better this year, but he's actually signed for next year too, so they think that they can run it back with the same players next year, and if they can't get a deal done with Colin Sexton, then the roster they'll have for the remainder of this year will also be the same roster that they'll have all of next year. So I think everything in this just makes a lot of common sense, and sometimes you only need common sense to be a good NBA team when you already have the players in place. And look... If they're able to get Colin Sexton back next year and add it to this team, I mean, if you look at it, they had Sexton for half of the year so far. By the end of the year, it's probably going to be 20 out of the 80-whatever games. So when you look at it that way, you have a team that, if you exclude that, they're a five seed without Colin Sexton, without Karis LeVert, pretty much. Now, you have, for the rest of the year, they're going to be a five seed plus whatever Karis LeVert can give to them and really not giving up much, honestly, because Ricky Rubio isn't playing at all. And then by the end, and then by the start of next year, if they're able to re-sign Colin Sexton, you're looking at a five seed plus Colin Sexton and Karis LeVert, who are both good enough to elevate a team, I think, two or three places in the standings. They could really be one of the stronger contenders in the East. And these players are all young, too. So it's not like they can have really bad regressions in their career and they might get very, very old and, you know, have to be thinking about retirement soon. They're young players. Um, and overall, Allen, Garland, Lavert, and Mobley will all be under contract next year and even beyond that a little bit. So the Cavs have now set themselves up, as I said, with a very, very good two-year window to put themselves back on the map. And honestly, the other thing that you can think about is even after these next two years, they can also make themselves maybe a little bit of a free agent uh, destination in the future for free agents two years from now in the offseason, who will join Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, and whoever else will want to stay, maybe Darius Garland, if they give him an extension. So overall, I really like what the Cavs are doing, and I like it when teams who aren't the Lakers or the defending champion Bucks or the Nets or the Sixers are actually trying to get better. I really like that. So uh, my applause go out to the Cavs for trying to be a good team. Well, that wraps up our look back at the NBA, and it also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, February 11th, where we will have our weekly in-depth analysis of college basketball action and have a preview of Super Bowl 56. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games and his latest NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday, and his next bracket, which will be posted tomorrow. All of that is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.